0: and I want you to turn back there as uh, we are uh, getting close to Easter, of course, and uh, next Sunday already, Palm Sunday, and then Easter. So I uh, have a, a week in between to kind of uh, go to an unrelated uh, passage and uh, speak from this, something that uh, I noticed some time ago. Again, was a blessing to my heart and just wanted to share some thoughts with you. I, I titled this The Testimony of Conscience. From that statement in verse 12, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12, you know that we all have a conscience, right? You're you're aware that you you do, and your conscience ought to steer you right. That's why God gave it to you. But of course, a conscience uh, can be filled with wrong information, and if we fill our conscience, our heart, our minds, and so forth with wrong information, we'll develop a conscience that, uh, is leading us astray. We have to be careful of that. Either way, it becomes the testimony, verse 12 again, the testimony of our conscience. Uh, and this is what uh, we want to pay attention to today, that testimony that we have because of our conscience. Conscience is, is important. Uh, Warren Wiersbe once called it the inner judge, that is inside us. R.C. Sproul called it the voice that can either be from heaven or from hell, depending on what you do with it. Matthew Henry once called it the court that is now in session inside us. MacArthur called it the instrument of the Holy Spirit. And old William Wilberforce said it it is the monitor within the human breast that monitors things that go on inside us. I believe I think it's pretty obvious that as a country, America is losing if it has not lost its conscience. I was shocked uh, this week, for example, and you hear these things all the time. A, a, a lady was on the news with with her uh, uh, Down syndrome baby, but she, of course, had studied these kinds of things. And throughout the statistic, I think is true that now in America, two thirds of the babies that would be born with Down syndrome are aborted because uh, parents just don't want them. Two-thirds if you can imagine. And of course that is besides the national genocide that has been going on now for a generation of now over 60 million lives killed by abortion in America. I mean there's, there's never been a genocide uh, anywhere close to this. We talk about Ad- Adolf Hitler kill- killing six million people. We've killed 60 million people. How terrible is that? And, of course, the moral uh, decline, uh, the, the uh, uh, growth of, of uh, same-sex marriage, homosexuality, and so forth. You know, uh, in trying to memorize some verses from the book of Jude, how striking is this, as Jude says, you know, God will judge, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh. God says, as he set forth as an example, and then he said, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Do You understand what he's saying there? There's the vengeance of God, which is eternal fire. They only experienced eternal fire for a moment in Sodom. God has an eternity of such vengeance waiting for those who practice such immorality. It's a striking thing when you think about it. But that's where we are in America now, condoning all kinds of things, and there, there's outright war on the family, on churches, and on Christianity in general, and it's a sad thing. Even, <clears throat> folks, American Christianity, much less America at large, America, uh, American Christianity is not far behind uh, the moral conscience of the country, you know, anything for a crowd, anything for a buck. Anything for to get a million likes on your Facebook page, anything for personal pleasure, it seems like. Same sex weddings are being performed in churches, and many of those are so called evangelical churches, not liberal churches. These are those who profess the name of Christ and doing this kind of thing. And I thought to myself, 50 years ago, we might talk about smoking, dancing, drinking, and immodesty, and rightfully so. And today, those same things are 10 times worse than 50 years ago, and yet they are encouraged by the evangelical churches as as a way of reaching out to our generation. Conscience. We're not far behind, I think, what the whole country is. R.C. Sproul said this, he said, The conscience of a man is powerful, but a changeable mechanism. It has been called the internal voice of God, a kind of built-in governor that either excuses or accuses us. Your conscience can excuse what you're doing, too. Charles Ryrie put it this way, all men have a conscience, he gives the verses, Romans 2.15, and it can be a right guide, John 8.9, it may also only seem to be right when actually it is leading the person down the wrong road, Acts one. So we have to be very careful with our conscience how it leads us. Do you, you remember, I remember the cartoons when I was a kid. And here's, here's a man in a cartoon. And on this shoulder is sitting a little devil, you know, with a pitchfork and a fork tail. And on this shoulder sitting a little angel, uh, you know. And they are arguing back and forth, it, it, one in one ear and the other in the other, telling the man what he should do. And our conscience can be that way, although maybe it shouldn't. Consider the word conscience. Do do you see in the word conscience the word science, knowledge, knowing, and con meaning all about, and so, and so your conscience is supposed to be aware, supposed to be a a source of information to you. That's why you call it conscience, uh, because and consciousness gives us awareness of what's going on around us. In, in the Greek language, which Paul wrote here, of course, in, in this book, Soon oida" to know it all, <laughs> to know together, to bring everything together is what the conscience is supposed to mean. And I think in the Scriptures it mostly means to know the will of God. If you know what God wants for you, and what you should learn from God then your conscience will be formed the right way listen to these verses just a few <clears throat> of the verses acts 24:16 herein do i exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward god and toward man romans 2:15 which show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. First 1 Timothy 1.19, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away uh, concerning the faith, have made shipwreck. And 3.9, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. First Peter 2, uh, uh, Peter says, This is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God, Endure grief, suffering wrongly, as long as it's a conscience toward God. And then in 1 Peter 3, uh, when he says, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, the next phrase is. You have to have a good conscience. And in 321, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us, not a putting away of the filth of the flesh, but what? An answer of a good conscience toward God. My point is that this conscience that we have needs to be directed toward God, educated by God, informed by God to be a good science inside us. So notice again, verse 12, our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity, godly sincerity, here's the negative one, not with fleshly wisdom, another positive one, but by the grace of God. Notice, by all of these, we've had our conversation in the world. You know what conversation means, don't you? It's a, it's a lifestyle. It means your character. It means what you really are in your life. Your reputation, even. You, you know, one time D.L. Moody was at, someone asked him, uh, Are you concerned about your reputation? <laughs> Moody answered, No. If I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. <laughs> our conscience, our character, our lifestyle. Is at stake here, so I want us to notice in this verse the four characteristics or descriptions, if you will, of the conscience. three of them are positive, and one of them is negative <clears throat> so let me let me give you the negative one first. Uh, allow me to do that, and then we can come back to the three positive ones so first. Of all we see in this verse, that our conscience is not to be a fleshly wisdom. We're not to be informed. The science that we're creating inside us is not to be informed by fleshly wisdom. Go back to to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It, It should be to your left there a few pages. And remember when Paul spoke about the fleshly wisdom? In 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 21, he says, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Notice, hath not God made foolish or foolishness the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. So it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And and go to chapter 2 while you're there of 1 Corinthians. Verse 1, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. And look at verse 4, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but... In demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And all the way down to verse 13 of chapter 2, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So back to our text fleshly wisdom, wisdom that comes out of our flesh. You know that word sarks, that word flesh means your old, your fallen nature the way you were without Christ, the wisdom that you had, what thoughts you had in your head and in your heart before you ever knew God. You were born with that fleshly wisdom. You remember 1 Corinthians 2.14, don't you? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, the natural man. You know, I happen to think in, in today's world, that sounds pretty good you know, back to nature. <laughs> we're, we're, we're the natural man, you know. I, I'm kind of that rugged individualism uh, that, that, uh, that feeds on natural things. That's, that's who I am. And God says the natural man, that phrase indicates that you are limited in your knowledge. You're limited in your wisdom. You only have wisdom that's from, a, uh, from below and not the wisdom that's from above, as James puts it. And so you you aren't informed with that godly wisdom, only with fleshly wisdom, only with the wisdom of this world, a sad thing. And do you remember 1 Timothy 4.2, where Paul says to young Timothy that some people in the latter days, no doubt pointing ahead even to our day, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience, what is it, seared with a hot iron. Your conscience seared with a hot iron. I think that's where we are today and and where fleshly wisdom is today. The word seared means, of course, to burn, but it it is the word cateriazo. And we get our word cauterize, C-A-U-T-E-R. To cauterize something is to what? To burn it off, is to sear it, of course, to cut it off so that nothing can flow through. We cut ourselves off from information from God. We cauterize our own conscience, and that's the way Paul says it will be in the latter days, cut off from the wisdom of God. We cut ourselves off, don't even allow it to be heard in our ears anymore. We had a striking illustration of that this week as uh, one of the men who was proclaimed as one of the smartest men in the world, Stephen Hawking, died. In Cambridge, England, uh, in one of the centers of, of uh, intelligentsia in the world, uh, Hawking, who's a self-proclaimed atheist, of course, and said often when I die there will be nothing there, how quickly he got educated, of course, at the moment of his death, but here is the worldly wisdom, here is fleshly wisdom. Having cut himself off from any information from God, uh, he's he's doomed to his own thinking. Let me give you a a striking uh, difference. A hundred years before, there was a young teenager who grew up in, in Cambridge in his teenage years and never even got to go on to college because at 16 years old, as a Christian young man, he became the pastor of a small country church, and his name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Now let me ask you, uh, who had more wisdom from Cambridge, England? Was it Steve Hawking or was it uh, Charles Spurgeon? Well, different people would differ and give you different answers, but I think you know uh, who had a direct line to God and who preached to you the wisdom of God. So it is not with fleshly wisdom. That's the negative when we look at that first but, but, but then we have three positive descriptions, characterizations, of our conscience that we ought to have. The first one is in this word, in simplicity, just in simplicity. Now that word has in its root both the word holy and the word simple. So it is is something that that is just simple and pure. It is something that we might say is realness, is purity. Sometimes it's translated generosity and liberality. I call it sanctified pureness. Sanctified pureness. You don't need any more than that. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. This is the kind of wisdom that we have and, and, and the wisdom that we must have. In, in this book that we're reading, in, in chapter 8, verse 2, it's translated liberality. In 9-11, bountifulness. In nine thirteen, a liberal distribution. In other words, uh, this person is just simply what he is and shares with you in any chance he gets. In chapter 11, verse 3, we have the statement, the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul says, I'm afraid that false teachers will come in among you and draw you away from the simplicity, the sanctified pureness that is in Christ how easy that can be done. We're lured away by the things of the world. We watch it constantly. We, we take it in constantly. We hear it. And yet we don't take in the word of God and we don't communicate with God. And so Paul says, I'm afraid that you'll be lured away from the simplicity that is in Christ. Chapter 10, he begins by saying, I beseech you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Just a sanctified pureness. You know, Often we hear someone say, I'm just a simple man, (laughs) right? You, You heard that expression. I'm just a simple man. Well, I wonder if you're simple in this sense in a sanctified pureness. Are you simple in that? That kind of person, man or woman, that person says, I don't need applause. I don't need worldly things. I don't need the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. I don't need the pride of life. Do you have that kind of sanctified pureness, that simplicity of life? I tell you what you do need if you're that kind of person, to give away things. <laughs> you need to be a person that shares, that gives, that has liberality and bountifulness. You need simple fellowship just to build yourself and others up. You need quiet devotion with God. You need heaven and someday you'll get it. You need to be like Jesus. I thought a great illustration a few weeks ago, what a contrast between Stephen Hawking dying and Billy Graham dying. And though you know my differences in some points with Billy Graham, the one thing that I, I really appreciated during those days of his funeral, when his body was lying in state in the rotunda in the, in the nation's capital, that here are the, the most important people in the world. There's the president of the United States, the senators, the congressmen, well, some important people in the world, and, and, uh, and statuary hall of all of the uh, statues of great Americans. And here comes the, the honor guard, the, the, the branches of our military, marching and carrying the casket in. But the casket was ordered by the family, and it was a pure, wooden, simple wooden box with a cross on top. And I thought, what a great statement that is. Simplicity, just godly sincerity, just sanctified pureness. And if you have that kind of testimony when we leave this world, we have won all, folks. That's all we need. So is your conscience characterized by this simplicity? Now, secondly, the second expression we have here is godly sincerity. And again, this word is made up of a unique combination of thoughts. It's the word for sun, S-U-N, alias, and the word to judge, kreno. So to judge by the sun. As a matter of fact, this word could be called sunshine. (laughs) It, it It is the light of the sun shining through. That's why godly sincerity, the light of the sun, so it has the idea of clearness, of purity, integrity, sincerity, or I call it transparency. Your conscience needs to have this kind of transparency. In 1 Corinthians 5.8, we are to eat the unleavened bread of sincerity, transparency in our conscience, in our testimony. 2 Corinthians 2.17, uh, the sincerity as of God. Has God ever been insincere with you? Has God ever been non-transparent with you? Philippians 1.10, we are to be sincere and without offense. And in 2 Peter 3.1, stir up your pure minds, your minds that have godly sincerity in them. It's the light of the sun. You remember in in, uh, Psalm 19, uh, Paul is speaking about the heaven. Paul, uh, David speaking about the heavens that declare the glory of God. And he says, it says, the sun goes forth in its might, uh, that, that it begins on one side of the, of the world, and his, his uh, circuit goes to the ends of the earth. And then it says, there's nothing hid from the heat thereof, or from the light thereof, for that matter. A transparent. Seeing everything, seeing through everything, that's the way it should be. But you know, Satan will keep that light from shining, and you remember, don't you, statements like this, Second Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God of this world, meaning Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. This light can be blocked, that's why it needs to be transparent by us. So let me ask you this, is your, is your life, is your conscience a mirror or a window? You know, is, is it a reflective mirror where you only see yourself and you look in your conscience and you see what you want to see? You, you design it the way you want to design it and it's basically for your sake because this is what you want out of life or is your conscience a window, a transparent piece of glass uh, where, where others can see God in you and God can shine out through you. is What is your conscience? It needs to be one of the others. Look at chapter, in chapter 4, verse 2, by the way, of our book here, Paul will say, We've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation Being transparent of the truth, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Do you worry about what people are going to think of you, in other words, is what he's saying? Are you worried in your conscience that if you live your Christianity in front of other people, they, they won't like you? They may not like what you believe. They might be offended by you. No, Paul says, commend yourself to everybody's conscience. Be transparent, let the light shine through, and let people uh, think what they want to think. Warren Wiersbe called the conscience a watchdog. A watchdog that that guards and that keeps away evil things and, and welcomes good things. I don't know if I've told you this story before, but I had a good friend in Denver named Barry... Very subtle. <laughs> and Barry uh, lived in the city. His kids grew up with our kids, and we taught together a little bit. And so I knew Barry and Gloria. And, and, and Barry, since he lived in the city and they were gone from the house all day, he decided he needed a watchdog. So he went out and bought a dog. Now, this, this was a poodle looking dog to me. I don't know what the mix was. He wasn't real big, wasn't real little, but a poodle looking dog. But anyway, Barry thought he was going to be ferocious. So he put this dog in his house. So Barry came home one day and uh, realized that he had locked himself out of his house, and he was going to have to break into his own house. So he went around, he checked, and he found a window in a bedroom that was open, that he could get open and crawl through. Then he remembered, oh, I have this ferocious watchdog inside my house. And so he's, he, he says, well, i got to get in. So he's got the window open. He's crawling in, breaking into his own house, and the, he can see through the bedroom, and the bedroom door's open. He can see the hallway. And he says, well, I'm, I'm halfway in the house expecting this ferocious animal to come and, and chew me up at any moment. He said, this dog goes crawling past the door on his stomach trying to get out of the way from the burglar. <laughs> and he knew his, his watchdog didn't work too well. <laughs> Is that, is that your conscience? That at every time when your conscience should say, hey, you can't do that, it goes crawling away to allow anything that you want to allow in your home and in your life. So godly sincerity, with simplicity and godly sincerity. But there's one more, and it's a good one too, and that is we're to do this by the grace of God. I call it divine help, of course. You can't do any of these without divine help. Grace is what is needed here, folks, to transform us from a fleshly wisdom into sanctified purity and transparency. When you got saved, you entered God's divinity school. I want you to know that, and the name of the school is Grace. (laughs) And the great thing about uh, Grace is it's tuition-free. <laughs> you didn't have to pay for it. And uh, the, the books that you got uh, when you entered this school also came free. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the local church. Those things in your life that will train your conscience and build you and, and cause you uh, to have the simplicity and godly sincerity that you need in your life. And I hope that you have that in your life. Con- contrast, remember I, I read to you um, 1 Corinthians one fourteen: the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. But contrast the verses before and after. Verse 13 says... Paul says, which things we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. It's the Holy Spirit you need inside you to teach you these things that came to you by the grace of God. And then in verse 15, he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I mean, you have all of these advantages when you have God's grace. You're in 2 Corinthians. Turn the page once to your right and look at chapter 3 at the end of this chapter where Paul is talking about how the Jews were so blinded from their own Messiah. So verse 15 says, Even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, that is their heart, shall turn to the Lord. The veil shall be taken away. And now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. You look into the word of God, and you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, and you see the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know what happens? He begins to change you into that image rather than changing that image into you. And that is exactly what we need uh, to happen. Now, in, in Galatians 3, are you so foolish, Paul says to the Galatians, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? You know, you know what our problem is? Many Christians are set free by the grace of God at salvation so that their conscience and their character can be built to be like Christ, but they go ahead and live in the flesh. We begin in the Spirit, but we live in the flesh. We think we're made perfect by the flesh. We can't do that, folks. It's by grace that you have security in Christ. By grace you have holiness in Christ. By grace you have victory over the flesh in Christ. You even have an eternity coming because of Jesus Christ. So the the real question is, what are you sowing then in your field, right? What, What are you sowing? Remember, Galatians says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You sow these wild oats in your field, that is what you will reap in your conscience. You're going to reap what you sow. And so you have to be careful. I like this, this verse in Galatians 5, then in verse 13, where he says, don't use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. I was doing a word study at the other day for another reason on the word occasion, and it's kind of like an opening, a platform, a way to get in, an occasion to the flesh, and you sow to that occasion, and you let that thing come in through your eyes, you let that thing come in through your ears, you let it seep into your heart, you, let the, you give the flesh an occasion, and then what happens? We, we reap what we sowed in that area. We have then no conscience about those things. So how, how do we overcome, folks? What have you done? How do you get out of it if you have cauterized your conscience? If you've let it be seared by a hot iron so that you have no conscience to wickedness in this world? I'll tell you how it's done. The answer is, is a couple places in our New Testament. One is Hebrews nine fourteen. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God? Purge. That's what you need. You need a purging, and let me tell you that that word purging is from a Greek word pronounced katharizo, where we get another medical term catheterize. I'm probably not even saying that right. Katheterize. and that means to clean out I wrote a rooter job on on that. And I don't know in the medical world if you can do. If, uh, 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 heal a, a cauterization with a cauterization, but I know you can in the spiritual world and God says so. When your conscience is seared, then it is the blood of Christ and it is the 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 uh, grace of God that will clean that out and make it open again so that the information of God can come in to your life. It also, in Hebrews 10 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once worshipers Purged should have no more conscience of sin. When God purges us and cleans us out and does that catheterization in our life, then we have no more conscience of sin. It doesn't rule in our lives, and that's the way it should be. So John said it this way, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse. Same words, purge from all our sin and forgive us those things so we need to have that daily confession of our sins to the lord daily open the channels daily have the the cleansing and the purging done so that the information of god can come into our conscience and the bad things can leave and then we can be what god wants us to be if we're saved by grace let's live by grace isn't that the Isn't that the the, the principle what we should do so is it the works of the flesh that are overtaking you? Is it, is it discouragement in life? Is it defeat in one way or another? Maybe hatred and, and strife and envy and those kinds of things? Or just a seared conscience towards sin? Then let the grace of God come in. And let the love of God come into your life and clean those things out. And take away the evil things and put again the godly things in so you can hear the voice of God and have that kind of conscience that is clear and right and honorable before God. I hope that you will. Stand now with me if you will. As we stand, I think that all of us ought to know ourselves better than anyone else. And we all ought to know where we stand before God and what is necessary and needed in our lives. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for the words of Scripture that encourage us. Thank you, Father, that reminding us that we have a testimony with our conscience. And and, And it forms our lifestyle. It forms who we are. It forms our reputation and our character. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to see this in your word. And we as your children... Ask that your Holy Spirit would, would more than ever do that spiritual work in our lives. And where we, have, where we ha- have seared our own conscience, I pray, Father, that we would let you purge that conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God. So Father, I pray that you would do that in our hearts now. And as, as we sing an invitation song, that we might open our hearts up before you and ask you to show us those things that need that cleansing and we could confess them before you, even as we sing and do this. Speak your words in every way that you desire to our hearts and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our invitation is open as we sing.